So, Mark. Yes? One of the most iconic scenes in this week's movie takes place in a slumber party which relies on the idea that a large number of parents allowed their like preteen daughters to sleep over in the home of an adult woman who the parents presumably do not know or have probably had negative interactions with. Yes. <laughs> she is does not seem to be popular in the building. And also, I just have a hard time imagining, although we never see mean Jenna, I have a hard time imagining her being super kid-friendly. <laughs> yeah, that is also true. So my question is, what are your favorite examples of weird age gap friendships in movies? Like adults and children being friends. Well, it raises the question of how much friendship can exist when one person is being paid. But in Barb and Star, I would <laughs> I would say that the villain and Yo-Yo crossed the line into friendship, even though she stole him as a child and is paying him as a lackey. Okay, you make a good case for why that should not be friendship. They do have a very sweet relationship, though. It is very fun. I mean, he seems to think of her as a friend slash maybe mother figure, but not really. I mean, that's a problem with that whole organization where everybody involved does not really understand that they're an employee. They all think their relationship is deeper. Yeah, I mean, that that's just the side of a toxic boss more than anything. <laughs> right. If your boss won't recognize you as an official couple, you're not one. Also... Is it really an organization if it's three people and a dead scientist? Well, they also have all the bees. Mosquitoes. Yeah. One. Two. The economics of this uh, situation don't really make a lot of sense. I assume that our arch villainess inherited a lot of money from her deceased father. It's honestly the only explanation for how she could afford to build that lair. So I was also thinking in the adventure category. I mean, of course, it goes without saying that the ultimate adult-child friendship is in Back to the Future, subject to a future two-hour episode, which, in a way, has multiple versions of it, because there is, of course, Doc and Marty. But in a sort of 13-going-on-30 way, there's also the friendship between Marty and his dad, which Marty is entering, to a certain extent, thinking about Crispin Glover as an adult. I have so many thoughts about that element of this movie, that I cannot wait to discuss. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Um, the other one that I thought of was Indiana Jones and Short Round, which is a bizarre relationship <laughs> that I do not begin to understand. I just love how often movies feel no need to justify the relationship. At least in Barb and Star, we have an explanation for how they became friends, which is she kidnapped him to turn him into a child soldier. But Indiana Jones and Short Round, no explanation for how he ended up with this child companion. The thing that concerns me is that Temple of Doom is set a year before Raiders, and I, I'm concerned about what happened to Short Round in between. Not that, like, I, I don't need, like, Indiana Jones origins or whatever to tell me what happened with Short Round, but I am a little concerned that, like, he fell out of a plane or something. I mean, if we don't get an explanation in, in one of the new Indiana Jones movies, what are they even doing? I mean, the, the concerning thing is that, like, I don't put a lot of stock in it, but <laughs> one of the rumors is that the new movie involves time travel. No. I will also say there are rumors of Short Round making a reappearance. Oh, I had not heard that one. 
I mean, I think it's very vague, but there are rumors of Short Round potentially reoccurring. Oh, you know what? Actually, if we're talking Lucasfilm ones, um, is Wicked the Ewok a child? I could not begin to answer this, William. Because I like his friendship with Princess Leia. I mean, there's also Luke and Obi-Wan. That's different. I guess it's, it's also master igno- student. It's also acknowledged in movie as being weird. Owen is like, stop hanging around with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. It is the only one of these examples where another adult figure has been like, it's weird that this grown adult is hanging out with the teenage boy. Caleb, what is your favorite? That is a, that's a good one. And um, I'd come in like like thinking of, you know, I, I, after I heard the question, I was like, maybe Leon the Professional. Uh, maybe uh, Finding Forrester, that movie with Sean Connery, he's a writer. But I realized now. as we were talking that um, my favorite has to be Up. Oh, oh yeah. That of is, course. It's such a good one. And and I, I really, I mean, even though it's one of those classic, you know, like, oh, grumpy old man, bright young kid, and, and they, you know, kind of, well, the grumpy old man hates him, and but they grow to love each other. Those are always my favorite. I'm a sucker for those kind of ones, and I think that one knocks it out of the park. It's one of the best examples of grumpy old guy learns to soften up to this precocious young kid. I mean, it's so well done. That actually reminds me of, you know, not weird at all because it is fully explained in the movie, but the friendship between Jerry Maguire and Jonathan Lipnicki. Is that really a friendship or a, like, surrogate father figure stepping into this child's life? I think they're friends. They have a a strange, goofy relationship, especially early in the movie. That, yeah. I do like with Up that it's uh, an example almost of a Stockholm Syndrome because of the inadvertent ki- kidnapping element. <laughs> Which is a great sequence. <laughs> great sequence. It's the moment when Carl refuses to let Russell into his flying house. <laughs> that is the best moment of that friendship. Oh. That's I mean, a good it's example. Just, it's just also, I mean, at the end there too, when he's going to like his, what is it, his graduation, or is he? No, getting it's the a badge? wilderness explorers like badge thing. That's like right, the yeah. Bridge ceremony vibe. Yeah, and they get ice cream. It just, it's just a, such a lovely payoff. Yeah. By far the weirdest is Indiana Jones. A short round, though. I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it already. Because short round isn't just like the kid who's with him. It's not like like I watched the Mummy Returns last week which is like the worst example of adding a kid to a franchise but but short like round like there is kid. his tech guy yeah but their kid is boring um short <laughs> round is like indiana jones's tech guy he's like if if the movie were set in the 90s he would be the person running all the computer systems was this before or after goonies this movie uh, uh, is like i mean i mean um uh um uh, uh, uh Temple, Temple of, of Doom. Doom. Is that was that? I think it's the year before. Okay, because because I, I I watched Goonies for the first time recently, and I was like, wait a second, that's the kid from Temple of Doom, where he is also the tech guy. It's like I want to cover Temple of Doom just to spend more time discussing Short Round, but at the same time, I never want to watch that horrible racist movie again. The romance of Temple of Doom is also fairly unpleasant. <laughs> it's also. Like, there's so much rich fodder for discussion, but I just can't bring myself to want to experience it again. It's a tough balance. It's a tricky movie. I mean, it's not that tricky. It's just, you know, straight up racist and bad. No, I mean tricky in the sense of balancing, like, there are some, like, very good sequences and, like, very good filmmaking in it. But, yes. as you said. <laughs> it's it's a lot easier to contend with Indiana Jones when he's fighting Nazis. Yes. 
Honestly, it's even more uh it's more pleasant in Raiders when they just shoo all the people of color into the background and don't make them characters than it is to watch Temple of Doom where all of the people of color are just evil. Well, no, some of them are uh impoverished and need Indy's help. Oh, right. Yeah, a nice mix of either white saviordom or evil vizier, almost. Wow, it's almost like you should take inspiration from pulps in the 30s, but not the politics. Instead, your villains should be super evolved gorillas who are designed to protect the place you're trying to go to. (laughs) That, you know, honestly, the least problematic version, maybe? (laughs) I mean, Nazis also... Good. Kate Planchet. All right, gonna wig. gonna clip that one out. Hold it on. Mark Schaefer, Nazis, good kind okay. of. Okay. Uh, I mean, good for killing um, <laughs> is the real end of that sentence. Anyway, should we start? I really want to get into this movie because I have a very fundamental question that I want to discuss. Great, let's do it. So, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast where we answer the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And is the central relationship of this movie pedophilic in nature? (laughs) You know, it's a question that is kind of impossible to answer. But it's worth discussing. I'm inclined to say no for a couple of big reasons. One... Ruffalo doesn't know she's a kid in an adult's body. Yes. Two, they have not spoken in so long that her weird behavior to him could just be the weird way she acts now. Valid. And doesn't then... She, t- she doesn't tell him, does she? No, she, uh, she does eventually. Okay. okay. Um, and then three, um, they don't really do anything. True. Yeah, he just kind of falls in love with her, but then also chooses the other woman. Yeah, they kiss, like, once. Yeah. Anyway, also, are these people actually dateable or even likable? Uh, It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if, you know, Mark says there might be some problems with it. We're going to dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are rejoined by our good friend, Caleb Lewis, to talk about the 2004 age-up-slash-time-travel romantic comedy... 13 going on 30. Hey, y'all. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me back. I had a blast last time, so I'm happy to be back here. And uh, when, when you said we would be talking about 13 going on 30, I, I immediately remembered some of my favorite moments. I haven't watched it in years, but it really um, really was one of my favorites going up. And actually kind of reminds me that I, I should probably watch some more romantic comedies. Uh, you definitely should. This movie rules. Let's talk a little bit about sort of our experiences with 13 going on 30. So Caleb, you grew up with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's been so long that I, I don't remember too much about it, but it would come on whatever channel it would come on. And I would, I would always watch it. I mean, I think it was probably one of my first things that I saw Mark Ruffalo in. I think, you know, before he like became the Hulk and all these other things, I think it was one of the first things I saw him in. And um, actually, I think I, I think about this movie sometimes every now and then kind of about, okay, when I was 13 and now that I'm uh, in my late 20s, I'm starting to kind of have some of those things as I think back. But I just, I I distinctly always remember the thriller dance for me. That to me, whenever I think about that movie, that's, that's the one that comes up. So yeah, it's, it was, um, it is a kind of a childhood favorite and I, it's really a shame that I hadn't watched it in so long. Yeah. Well, that thriller sequence did get 
this movie an MTV Movie Award nomination for Best Musical Sequence. Did it really? Yeah. They lost to Napoleon Dynamite, but they got it there. <laughs> this movie probably did quite well at the MTV Movie Awards. That was its only nomination. Really? Which I think is crazy. This movie feels like MTV Movie Awards fodder. Part of the thing is, this was just a crazy year for, like, teen movies. Because you've got Napoleon Dynamite, Mean Girls, Freaky oh. Friday, oh. Fifty First Dates. Oh, wow. What a banner year for teen movies. Right. It was, like, really just, like, one hit after another. And 13 Going on 30 was, like, received fine. But it, like, didn't like the world on fire. It just did okay at the box office. And I think it got crowded out by those bigger movies. It's funny, I never would have thought of 13 going on 30 as, like, the underdog movie, and yet, when you list those out, I'm like, oh, this is definitely the Dark Horse candidate here. Yeah, honestly, I'm almost surprised that it has maintained cultural relevance. So what happened was, it didn't do that well at the box office. It only made $57 million in the U.S. against a $37 million budget. So, like, it did okay, but it didn't light the world on fire. But it was one of the top-selling DVDs. It oh. did really well on home video. This probably was very popular at Blockbuster. Yeah, this is like, you know, this is a slumber party movie. They did actually, uh, I was talking to somebody about this movie, and they were like, oh yeah, I bought the fun and flirty edition of the DVD, which actually smells like bubblegum. Is that the only difference? I assume it has like more bonus features and stuff. That feels very like height of DVDs, like in the early aughts, like very much like here's the special edition. It smells like bubblegum. That level of marketing is something I I kind of uh, am a bit nostalgic for. Yeah. I think about the phrase 30, flirty, and thriving a lot. And I don't (laughs) think it was like invented for this movie, but boy, does it work here. Uh, Only three years away from 30, flirty, and thriving. Got three years to enter my thriving phase. I hadn't really thought of, I mean, maybe, you know, outside of this movie, I think 30, flirty, and thriving, this is the only time I've I've heard it. And it's just 30 is such a, you know, of course, being in my late 20s, 30 becomes a year of anxiety. And so this whole idea of making it 30, flirty, and thriving is both freeing, but also a little bit perplexing because all I think is, oh no, 30, I'm getting old. (laughs) Yes, but... Like, 13 going on 27 does not have quite the same rank for a movie title. Well, when you put it like that, yeah. (laughs) So, Mark, when did you first see this movie? I first watched this with you on cable, essentially. I've only seen this one other time now. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was... We basically just stumbled onto it, didn't we? I kind of assumed when you put this on the schedule that... As a movie you and I watched together, we would have already covered it. So at first I was like, wait, didn't we record an episode on this movie? But Every no. once in a while, you'll reach out to me and be like, I think we've done an episode on this one. I'll be like, I assure you we have not. Like two weeks ago, you sent me the Little Italy poster. <laughs> and you were like, why do I feel like I've seen this movie? And I was like, Mark, we did an episode on this two years ago. No, I knew I'd seen the movie, but I couldn't remember if we'd recorded an episode or if it was all an insane fever dream. And uh, I don't think they're mutually exclusive in this case. Well, that was like one of the last episodes we recorded before everything shut down for the pandemic. That movie was maybe responsible <laughs> I think that movie caused the lockdowns. Caleb, have you watched it? Uh, unfortunately, not. Unfortunately, you, you should watch I Little think Italy, you the should movie watch in which Little Emma Italy. Roberts 
Emma Roberts and Hayden Christensen are the heirs to two rival next door pizza parlors. <laughs> in Toronto's Little Italy. When did this movie come out? 2018. No. Yeah. Hayden Christensen in yeah. 2018. I have to see it just because I haven't seen him in anything since. Well, actually, I saw the movie Takers uh, not too long ago, thanks to my uh, my wife, Melissa. Um another friend of the pod and he was in that and he was Hayden Christensen. I, I mean, I, I can't describe it any other way. Yeah. You, you have to watch this movie. His hair is dyed just black. Like the color <laughs> I of think, a black hole. I think if there's anyone that would truly appreciate this movie for its perplexing nature, it is Melissa. Yes. I'm sure she finds something to to enjoy about it, you know. Her, I, I what kind of, um, uh, I don't know what the word is. Kind of uh, perplexes me about her sometimes is that she, she, her threshold for watching something is very low. She will watch garbage as long as it's fun and interesting, you know. Uh, so I'm sure, I'm sure that that would will probably be right in the sweet spot of something where okay, it might be interesting enough to talk about and uh, consume. I highly recommend the experience. <laughs> We're going to get a text that we need to do an emergency reevaluation of Little Italy with Melissa. A pod addendum special episode. So I first saw this movie. Somebody I was dating showed it to me. And it was like that weird zone of like, it's like just as a relationship started. So like you're simultaneously like not paying any attention to the movie because you're spending the whole time thinking about like, okay, like what's going on here? Like, am I making too much physical contact? Am I not making enough physical contact? Like... Can I focus on anything that's going on? But then all the time, at the same time, like laser focus because you're like, nope, this is what we're doing. We're just watching this movie. And I came out of it just like, I don't know if any of that made sense, but it seemed sweet. And then I watched it with you, Mark. And I was like, "Mm, maybe this movie is good. And then I watched it this past week. And I was like, maybe Jennifer Garner should have like won a Golden Globe for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think she did a great job. And I wish the movie honestly did more with the time travel element. You want her to, like, do the Back to the Future 2 thing and, like, get the sports betting book? No, I want her to be more, like, fish out of water with 2000s technology. She does adapt to it very quickly. Like, looking at a personal computer, that would have been shocking. I want her to, like, listen to grunge for the first time and be like, what is this? But also, I think that is just a completely different movie, which is (laughs) we want to see Jennifer Garner pretend to be a 13 year old lost in modern new york she is so good in this movie she I is mean, she captures honest- it perfectly i was honestly kind of surprised i, I went, went watching it like rewatching, and i was like wait a second this is actually like really solid acting and i actually think the cast up and down is actually really strong uh but yeah. I, I was kind of really impressed by jennifer garner because it didn't feel over the top it didn't feel like okay this is an actor pretending to be 13 it really felt like oh no this honestly often can feel like this is a 13 year old in like a grown woman's body right it's the thing of every time she grabs her own boobs Like, as a reminder, like, oh my gosh. (laughs) I think the only moment I felt where it was just, like, over the top, kind of pushing it, is when she screams about the cell phone noise. That's, like, the only moment where I was like, okay, this is just overacting it. The rest of the time, she's handling it so well. And, I mean, I I think Jennifer... I think she pulls off the scene where she flirts with the 13-year-old boy really well. (laughs) I think Jennifer Garner is kind of an underrated actor. Absolutely. I think there's a certain level of um, 
actor, you know, especially from this era, who we like think of and, and, and tend to be like underrated, whether because they just are too, you know, conventionally pretty, or maybe they just got big around a certain time, you know, that I do think we have a tendency to forget like, oh, no, they're actually really good actors. Like, I think for a while there, Brad Pitt was kind of there. I, I think he's actually a really solid actor. Oh, he rules. But often people think of him as just, you know, heartthrob, leading man Brad Pitt. But I think more and more as his career is gone you kind of go back and see you know oh no he's actually really interesting like character actor in a lot of ways well i think i think with jennifer garner i mean she was well respected like on alias which she's in the middle of when this movie comes out but this is also the window where she has that thing that we've talked about with so many other people like drew barrymore where the tabloid persona overtakes them as a performer and so for jennifer garner this is in the middle of her relationship with ben affleck which then of course famously falls apart and that becomes the narrative of who she is and i think her skill as a performer gets lost in our perception of that uh i mean ben affleck post-divorce was like such a quintessential moment in american pop culture (laughs) so i guess like you kind of get why it becomes associated with her but i often forget that her main thing was she was like an action star on an abc cia show and at the same time like she's a call girl and catch me if you can she's really good in that movie like this movie was a deliberate pivot for her she's like i want to do something different i want to do a movie where i smile yeah because now sometimes i think of her more like in this where she's the happy-go-lucky i guess you know she plays a lot of moms these days she's a lot of moms she's a mom in juno oh she's in ghosts of girlfriends past remember that movie I do, and actually the same girl plays young Jennifer Garner in both movies. Can we talk about real quick how it looks like they just found Judy Greer as a child? Yes, it is uncanny. (laughs) It is terrifying, honestly, how much this child looks like Judy Greer. I think I remember reading something about how Judy Greer's mom saw that child actor and like started crying. because She's like, oh my god, my daughter is young again. I have my young daughter back. It's weird. It's weird. Maybe Judy Greer was in the middle of a little situation while they were shooting (laughs) 13 going on 30. Little, of course, being the movie where the adult woman gets turned into like a 10-year-old. Not to be confused with Big, where a child gets turned into an adult. Not to be confused with 13 going on 30, where a child time travels into the body of her adult self several years later honestly i think it would be really funny to have a movie like 13 going on 30 where you find out just like in the background someone else is going through a similar experience because if this commercially available wish dust actually has magic powers like other weird things should be happening at the same time i was wondering that so the thing thing is the question is like which person would also be experiencing it. And the clear answer is Andy Serkis. Like, Andy Serkis is a child in an adult's body who is trying to fake his way through running a magazine, which is also why he adopts the dumbest redesign. I also would love if just, like, on the background in newspapers, one of the headlines is just, man discovers ability to fly after purchasing wish dust at a walmart i wonder what what the approval process was for wish dust like how how did this get released into the general public if it seems to actually grant wishes well this is the reagan era so (laughs) corporations can do whatever they want (laughs) regulation is lax well there you go that that makes complete sense it is it is weird like i get it 
but magic exists in this movie, and you just sometimes have to take a step back and remember that. Even though magic does, one thing I love about this movie, which we'll get to at the end, is through magic, the other woman, who has no real faults, doesn't get punished in any way, because she just never enters the relationship. So she's out having her own life. I like that this movie manages to have it both ways, where in the main plot of the movie, they don't get to be together because Mark Ruffalo is like, no, we made our choices. Like, this is life now. Like, he's not going to do the dumb abandoning his life and relationships over what's going on for a couple of days. But then also the movie gives you the fake out. It's like it's like the ending of Titanic. where like, yes, Jack dies, but then there's the dream sequence where they're together again. Yeah, it's very nice. That is something I generally appreciate about time travel movies is that ability to, often in a rewarding way for me, have it both ways. You know, you get to see the possible future and then you get to change it, uh, you know, when, when that happens. It's like there are consequences for the choices that Jenna has made over the last 17 years, but also not. Yeah. I mean, Jenna sounds like such a shit person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is no good. They really lay it on thick more and more, just like reveal after reveal of, oh no, garbage, garbage, garbage. So we should mention, by the way, speaking of movies involving like magic and weird stuff, this is written by Josh Goldsmith and Kathy Yespa, who also wrote What Women Want. Okay. Um, I do need to take just a quick second that uh, I was reading it, trying to figure out how long Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner were together. And apparently since the early 2000s, there have been rumors that a Ben Affleck political career, because I didn't really realize he was so active in the Democratic Party. Very. Uh, <laughs> including rumors of a Massachusetts Senate seat campaign, which he flatly denied. But yes. just imagine if Ben Affleck ran for the Massachusetts Senate seat. It's the kind of thing of like, he is very active in the Massachusetts Democratic circles, has no interest in running, and every once in a while the Massachusetts Democrats are like, you know, if we got Ben Affleck to run, he'd probably win. I mean, if he ran for governor, he probably would have a chance. Yeah, but he does not want to be governor, and I think that's a smart call. Yeah, because now he can be exclusively focused on being with Jennifer Lopez, which <laughs> honestly should take 100% of your attention. On the... um. Uh, what women want were was he also were those writers also involved in what men want that recent sort of soft reboot i don't think so um i mean they'd be credited on it but i don't think they wrote it that movie's no good oh what it's, men want. we we started it and could not finish it, it, it we, we we started we were just like this isn't worth our time <laughs> it's a terrible movie i have seen neither and honestly have zero interest in either because the mel gibson of it all for the first one Oh, Mel Gibson. I will see it one day because I'm trying to watch every movie Nancy Myers ever wrote. But Yeah. It's just hard for me to see his face. Oh, I agree with you. Um, in addition to its nomination at the MTV Movie Awards, 13 Going on 30 was nominated for 18 Choice Awards. Okay. That tracks. That, yeah. That it lost better. all of them, but I wanted to <laughs> shout them out. It was nominated for Choice Comedy and lost to Shrek 2. <laughs> Choice comedy actress for Jennifer Garner. She lost to Lindsay Lohan for Mean Girls. Honestly, fair for the Teen Choice Awards. Comedy actor for Mark Ruffalo. He lost to Adam Sandler in Fifty First Dates. Judy Greer was nominated for Choice Sleazebag. 
<laughs> and lost to Sean William Scott in American Wedding. There are, as we've mm. noted many times, too many categories of the Teen Choice Awards. I think that's the teens failed on that one. The teens made the wrong choice there. Ruffalo and Garner were nominated for Choice Chemistry and Choice Lip Lock, and they lost both to Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. There are too many categories of the Teen Choice Awards. <laughs> Jennifer Garner was nominated for Choice Hissy Fit. <laughs> and lost to Lindsay lohan in freaky friday what a year for Lindsay lohan yes um jennifer garner was also nominated for choice blush what the actual (laughs) are these categories which was also won by Lindsay lohan in mean girls the oh my god also i hate hissy fit choice hissy fit is so sexist yeah, we've talked about it before. Like, men have won it, but it's clearly a sexist category. My question is, is I mean, I've brought a bunch of things. I found out for the first time yesterday that Lindsay Lohan had a music career. Oh, yeah. She was one of those Disney stars where it's like you're going to do all, every piece of it. I don't have think you not I heard Rumors by Lindsay Lohan? That was the song that I heard yesterday. It, it came on. Melissa played it, and she said, oh, yeah, this is a classic. And I was like, oh, I've never heard this song, and it definitely sounds exactly like Britney Spears. And she was like, yes, that's the yes. point. Yeah, it was like yeah. Lindsay Lohan, like Hilary Duff, like all those. They were doing every piece of it. Uh, Hilary Duff's two singles. Hold up. So Yesterday. Look, what a, what the a Lindsay McGuire movie soundtrack is nothing but hits. See, the issue is, is I was never a Disney. I never. I was Cartoon Network. I'm. I'm. You know. I to to. I guess re- reveal a little bit about me. I'm, I was Cartoon Network all the time. So Disney was like lowest on the that list. That is the least surprising thing I've ever heard. See, yeah, yeah. that that that's not much of a reveal, Caleb. <laughs> I I didn't really watch a lot of Disney movies. But it was hard to escape So Yesterday and Come Clean by Hilary Duff. And then Rumors by Lindsay Lohan was like her diss track at the paparazzi. So <laughs> I think that was pretty worth the listen, I guess. I can't stop thinking about the time Lindsay Lohan tried to steal a Syrian child on Instagram <laughs> Live. <laughs> Where she insisted that this random kid was being trafficked. Yes, and just, like, picked it up and ran away. Oh, my what God. What moment that was. She was, like, two, wasn't she? With yeah. her mom right there? Yep. Wow. And now she just has her beach club in Mykonos and is trying to make a comeback. Yeah. Good luck to her. Wow. She had a time with everything. So, should we talk about the romance of 13 going on 30? I think so. It, we're probably going to get into the whole plot with the romance yeah. here. But yeah, if you haven't gotten it, pieced it together, this movie is about a 13-year-old who wakes up in the body of her 30-year-old self. And it's not like at the time. Like, she does the full time travel from, like, 1987 to 2004 or whatever it is. I like that element. I think that's the interesting ch- twist on the genre that this movie makes. Right. It's the same time travel gimmick as in Days of Future Past. Yeah. This movie, what a time. Yeah. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to help us explain everything that we need to know. So Caleb, as our guest, you are going to walk us through the romance of 13 going on 30. So when I first started thinking about like the first point, I kind of had to think to myself, okay, because of the time travel, like where do we consider the relationship that we're talking about starting, you know, pre-time travel jump, post-time travel jump. 
And I, I realized that it, it kind of, the, the pre-time travel still informs what happens after the jump. And, and I think, like all good relationships and romances, this, uh, this one starts in the friend zone. So my point number one is, is that this, this, uh, the, uh, this relationship starts in the friend zone with Matt clearly, just from the beginning, it loves uh, Jenna Rank. So that's Mark Ruffalo's character and Jennifer Garner's character. As children. As children, yeah. As children, uh, 13, like, it's it's obvious from the beginning. I mean, he spends, did he say what, two, three weeks creating that model home for her? It would have to be weeks. It's like a version of the Barbie dream house, but all themed around stuff that Jenna likes with, like, little, like, paper dolls of Jenna enjoying the different stuff around the house. And It's Rick, so sweet. <laughs> it is. It's very sweet. It's elaborate. It is. It's 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 like on the edge of being super thoughtful and kind and a little bit obsessive. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in like it a is. creepy way. Oh, almost forgot. Wishing dust. It says, uh, it's "Wishing dust knows what's in your heart of hearts. It'll make all your dreams come true." I have to say, like, he's a sweet kid, but I do like he is kind of weird. Like, oh, when yeah. he's just dancing to the talking heads in front of the other kids, kind of like, let's learn to read the room here, bud. I think it's very funny that, like, the way the movie indicates that he's a weirdo is that he's just really into talking heads. I That was the moment where I knew I would have been his friend. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, this this man I understand, or child, this boy I understand. Because I was like, hell yeah, talking heads, that's my kind of that's my kind of music right there. But yeah, the dancing kind of alone yeah. in front of everyone. <laughs> I was gonna say, but would you just dance to it at a party with people that you know dislike you? But his willingness to dance alone in the middle of a party, it's crucial later on when they have to do the thriller dance. It is true. He has he did hold on to that childlike element. The director Gary Winnick really wanted to cut the thriller dance from the script and the studio told him he had to keep it so that they could put it in the trailer. That's so oh great. I couldn't imagine this movie without it. My understanding is that though Mark Ruffalo almost like didn't do the movie because of that and cuz he hates dancing and they'd hired yeah. like somebody to uh, uh he'd spent like hours trying to learn the dance and then like they get in the room with all the extras and he was like, "Oh my god, I hate this. I hate this. I'm not a dancer." Yeah, well, that works out because he's supposed to be uncomfortable in the scene. Yeah, not <laughs> he very much looks it. Very much. He's looks just it. method acting. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't couldn't imagine it without it. So, as you said, Caleb, like they are very good friends. Maddie is clearly in love with Jenna, but she is smitten with this dude Chris, who's just a meathead. The funny thing is, is I almost anticipated after the time jump, she's with that hockey player. And I'm like, I almost could have confused. I assumed Chris it was for, Chris. Yeah. And I've the, seen the movie. It's more fun that Chris grows up to be Jim Gaffigan, though. It, yes. <laughs> that is more fun. But I kind of assumed because she joined the six that she would be with Chris as her boyfriend. But this poor, sweet lughead of a hockey player. <laughs> he seems like a nice dude. He deserves better than Jenna. He's very friendly to his fans. Yeah, he really doesn't seem like all that all that bad. I mean, I I I, I was like, oh man, he kind of deserves a really simple, like easy easy relationship himself. I think the problem for him is that you know, th- I think basically anybody can like this movie, but it is targeted, I think, at like twelve and thirteen year olds, and he is scary because he is overtly sexual. 
it kind of in the way where like Mark, we talked about this when we talked about the notebook, like the appeal of the notebook sex scene to like girls that age is that like they take off their clothes standing on opposite sides of the room. So it's like the appeal of like, oh yeah, it's sexy, but also like, I don't have to worry about touching a boy. And I think similarly in this movie, it's like the hockey player who seems perfectly fine to us is scary because he's too into sex. Yeah. I mean, she is very scared of his naked body. Constantly tell him, hey, cover up, you know, I can see your thing, you know, throwing the, uh, what is it, pillow? Like Adam to cover Umbrella. up. Umbrella. Umbrella, that's right. I love that shot of like, as soon as the towel drops, the umbrella comes up. It's well done. I, I, I'm I a sucker for those kinds of visual uh, gags, I guess. You know, Austin Powers famous for it, you know. Yeah. That opening scene at Austin Powers is very impressive. But, Will, what were we watching that did even more work to prevent Oh, it us? was Claudine with James Earl Jones. Oh, yeah. That was the most efficient and effective penis covering like in a movie. Like, barely hiding a penis. So good. So, uh, Maddie's in love with Jenna, and Jenna is throwing her 13th birthday party that, like, none of the cool kids want to come to. But Jenna's determined to be cool. And so they come by because Jenna has promised to do their homework for them. If they do. And they tell her, like, all right, like, it's thir- you're 13, like, this has to be, like, a cool party. It's got to have kissing and stuff. So go in the closet with a blindfold on, and uh, we're going to send in someone to make out with you. And they're like, it's going to be Chris. And Jenna's like, heck, yes, it is. And she goes into the closet, and then they send in Maddie instead. Well, they actually all just start leaving. Oh, that's right. Which is even meaner. Right, they were just going to leave her in the closet until she figured it out. Yeah, but then Matt shows up, so they tell him that she is in the closet waiting for him. And and for me, this, it's important to note that, like, so early, like earlier on, Tom Tom, uh, Judy Greer's character's nickname as a kid, says to him, um, "We don't need a play-by-play." When he says he's going to wait for Jenna outside, and then right uh, right before this, Jenna says the same thing to him when he goes to get his. Uh, Casio. Casio, yeah, and because he wrote a birthday song for her, so it's yep. it, it, it's again this like conflict of how much he cares. He wrote a song for her. He's gonna go get his Casio to play it in front of everyone, which kind of like Mark you were saying with the dancing to Talking Heads in front of everyone is maybe missing some it's, of the social cues. It's so funny coming from with her need to be liked and 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 popular, you know, so that she like essentially publicly humiliates him and yet he comes back with the Casio just in time and he's so excited to go into into the closet with her cuz she cuz he thinks Jenna's finally waiting for me it's her 13th birthday, you know. Uh but instead she rejects him and it's incredibly sad. Yeah. And she's left alone in the closet banging her head against the shelf, wishing to be 30, flirty, and thriving, and some of the sparkle glitter that he used on her dream house falls down on her and transports her to the 21st century and an adult woman's body. And I think we're about to get to the least believable part of this movie, which is she doesn't immediately recognize Tom Tom because they look exactly the exactly same. The same. <laughs> More so than the time travel. I mean, it's like, in any other situation, you'd get why this child actor and this grown actor, you could be like, why she didn't immediately place them. But as soon as Judy Greer walks on scene, you're just like, this is the same person. It's like the next level of Irishman tech. 
And yet, like, so one, it makes me wonder, did she just completely forget that Tom Tom's real name was Lucy? And number two, they explain it completely unnecessarily that Lucy's had all kinds of plastic surgery and that's why you don't recognize Recognize her. her. It's like, no, we do. She looks exactly the same. I know. It's like, I mean, they wrote the script anticipating not having a child actor that looks the same as the grown actor, which is the norm. But instead, they managed to cast it perfectly. So I think this is point number two, right, Caleb? Yeah, point number two is, um, I, I pretty much called it estrangement slash stranger in a strange land. So uh, Estrangement in a strange land. Yeah, there you go. So uh, she's now turned 30, right? And as she kind of figures out where her life is, she's, of course, going to go find her best friend, Matt. Yeah, especially because there's a strange naked man hanging around her apartment. Yeah, she's like, I can't go back there. Not that she even knows where that is. So, so she tracks down Matt and he hasn't seen her in years. I think, he, I think he later on reveals in the movie that he hadn't seen her since that 13th birthday party because she had joined the six chicks. Which, do they answer if they keep calling them the six chicks even though they're seven? Maybe someone you know, got kicked out. Yeah. Maybe That's what Brie happened to Brie Larson. Larson. <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> uh, man, you, we, we both at the same time. Yeah, I, I, When I found out Brie Larson was, was in that group, I was like, wait a second. I was a prom queen. Yep. And I went with Chris Granny. Yep. This is incredible. I can't believe it. I got everything I ever wanted. Yeah, Jenna, you got it all. Congratulations. So yeah, so they're totally estranged. So for her, this is for me part of the fun part of this romance is she isn't missing a beat. Him, on the other hand, has spent, what, is it 17 years, I would think? Yeah. And so he's having to kind of relearn what it's like to be in a, a, a friendship with, with Jenna Rink. Uh, and so there's- With 13-year-old Jenna Rink. 13-year-old Jenna Rink. Not, not the same, you know, uh, uh, apparently cold, calculating, mean Jenna Rink that most other people seem to know and he even knew in high school. Right, Jenna has- Jenna has spent the past 17 years, like, being a mean lady, like, incredibly cutthroat in her print media job, because this is a rom-com, constantly, like, smacking down the people who work for her, double-crossing the people she works with. And I think it's just so fascinating that he doesn't, like, the, 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 I mean, even because of the time travel, I think it's, like, they don't recognize each other. I think, to me, that's a very sad moment, in a way, because, you know, it just goes to show how long it's been since they've even seen each other these people who were best friends they they, they might as well just be strangers on the street I which is a real say, thing that happens I, yeah i was about to say uh the people i was friends with at 13 i would at all except one i would consider strangers at this point point. and I think, that, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point and kind of part of what makes this movie interesting is that i think even without the time travel like we could have just jumped forward and one day she realizes she's not happy and she's not who she was and she wants to reconnect. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah, which is, you know, I mean... That's what the movie's about. Yeah. I mean, the point of the movie is that you can do this without the magic element and like reconnect to your younger self and become a better person at any time. But the movie uses magic. But, and I like that the movie like says in a way because of that, that like you can reconnect to your younger self, but you also can't change the past. Like I, I appreciate that, that there is that sort of maturity and realism to that, that like, you know, you can, you can kind of redeem yourself in a way, but you can't undo what's been done. And that's where I think this movie is a little bit smarter than a lot of other versions of it would have been. I think this movie actually has more of a moral lesson in mind than most rom-coms of this era like it comes in with something to say and it's not the most you know it's not the most original thought but it tells it well using an interesting plot 
And I think it's not just a movie that's about a romance and comedy. I think that's part of what elevates this movie from just being a really good rom-com to an actually really great movie, I think. You know, that it, 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 yes, it's a simple message. Yes, you know, to everything you just said, but it, it, it does that. It almost like, I won't say it transcends the genre, but it uses it to full effect. Well, I think part of what, it, you know, we're all talking about like the complexity and maturity of the way it engages with fairly simple ideas. But I think part of what makes it work is that it is targeted at a slightly younger audience, but treats them and their concerns and their experiences seriously. Like it treats like the emotions and the experience and the tensions of 13 year olds as things that matter. I think often when we see things with kids, with teens, especially ones that aren't geared towards them or even still to, towards them, it does, there, there's a tendency to think of them as, oh, they're, you know, these crazy stupid kids. They're young. They don't really know what they're talking about. So they have a tendency to be grading and, and annoying because of that, you know, because they, they, it's like, oh, they're unreasonable. But I think this movie does a good job of kind of showing the reason and the logic behind, like, as a 13-year-old, of course you're going to do these sorts of things because it, it matters to you. You don't know, you haven't lived a life yet, you know, and so everything is kind of to a certain scale. And I think it does kind of, I think that's one, the number one way for any piece of me to win me over is to treat the audience as smart and essentially deserving of respect. And the number yeah. one way for me to lose it is to treat the audience like they're stupid and you would hate them. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's the most important thing. So uh, she goes to his house, realizes they're not friends anymore, but still invites him to a cool magazine party that night. Right. So she works for... What's the name of the magazine? Poise. Poise, yeah. This, like, fashion magazine that she was into growing up. It's, like, fashion slash gossip. Yeah. It's like Vogue and Cos... Or not Vogue and Cosmo. I guess it's more like a Cosmo than a Vogue is the idea. It feels like a slightly, like, less prestigious Vanity Fair. Yeah. And that its main competitor is Sparkle, which is such a terrible name. Yeah. But Sparkle keeps scooping them. JLo gave 11 secrets to Sparkle and only 10 to Poise. Which would you buy? I mean, I would buy the day before 11 secrets, obviously. Which, honestly, Andy Serkis in that role, I really do think he is phenomenal. I kind of completely forgot it was him. Like, he was in this movie. I mean, once I saw it was him, I didn't forget. Oh, that, that, I was like, oh, is that Andy Serkis? No, once I saw him, I was like, that's clearly him. But I think he does a really, really solid job in it. Yeah, no, he's just like the flustered manager of this apparently failing magazine and he, his solution is to demand well i guess he doesn't want it but the the higher-ups want a like full redesign of the magazine and I, I gotta say i think both of the redesigns are bad but judy greer's will probably sell better because i don't really understand the hook of jenna's beyond the yearbook theme like i think to some extent it's supposed to be like normal looking people instead of models doing the fashion stuff i assumed it was also the nostalgia element but this is before nostalgia was the best way to sell but also like how many issues of that can you sell like i i believe you can sell one like special issue of a yearbook theme but like what's the next issue see my my takeaway was very much that it was supposed to be about real people and i'll tell you why part of it is because it had one of my favorite lines earlier on when she's looking at poise and she wants to be like them and her mom says those aren't people honey those are models you know, <laughs> which first of all, I'm like, 
I don't, I'll just leave that sentence as it is. It tickled me. But I think to me, that is kind of the, that through line to that final thing is, oh, the ideas that we should be celebrating, real people, the, you know, uh, uh, and sort of the attainable. And I think that is part of the journey. But again, that isn't exactly clear in her pitch because so much of it is, seems to be based around that yearbook idea, nostalgia. Um, meanwhile, Judy Greer's pitch is like, somehow just like aggressive, which feels fitting for the 2004 market, the air, like that sort of like angry mid-aughts pop culture. Feels very Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, like her whole presentation is like, this version of the magazine will OD, it will kill, poises, fashion, suicide. Death like, by I chic. I don't know what any of this means, but it does feel more tapped into the zeitgeist. Yeah, but it's not tapped into the point of the movie. <laughs> right. But I think it, it's... Well, I guess, no, we're, if we're still in point two at the, the magazine party. I, that And the magazine party is, is kind of where I get to point number three, actually. And okay. it's kind of a question. And that question is, is why does he show up? You know, and, and it's not just this. It's it's constantly, because it, he seemed, when she invites him, he seems reticent to go. He shows up real quick, dances, and then immediately leaves. You know, he didn't even talk. He really just showed up, dances. And he continues to do these things, knowing what we know later, the big reveal about his current state of affairs. I'm actually, I'm doing some uh, shopping with my, uh, Jenna, this is Wendy, my fiance. Oh, I'm Jenna. Matt told me all about his blast from the past. It was really sweet of you to stop by. Maddie's a sweet one. I don't know what I would have done without him. I'm sure you'll be just fine. Are you a photographer too? I see you guys have spent so much time talking about me. Wendy's a, uh, an anchor woman. Anchor person. I do person. the weather for WWEN in Chicago. Actually, Matt and I were just talking about him finally joining me in the Windy City. I think he shows up to the party almost out of bewilderment. Like... This person who had been important to him, I get the impression they had been really good friends for like basically all of their childhood up to the point of the 13th birthday party, kind of shows up out of nowhere and is like, come to this party. <laughs> and so I think he shows up kind of out of curiosity. Yeah. Allows I kind himself of get to be it. hauled onto the dance floor and then is like, absolutely not. Kind I don't understand what's realizes. going on. And it's outside my comfort zone. I'm bailing. I think if someone who you were very close to after 17 years showed up on your doorstep, you would be curious for more. I think that's a really good point. Cause I think, you know, he, he talks about, or at least Wendy, his fiance mentions that she, he had talked about this blast from the past. And I really do think that I, it kind of really, uh, maybe reawakens is the word. Maybe, uh, you know, it just sort of, you know, this curiosity, but also brings up all these emotions too, because it's obvious back then that he loved her. And maybe suddenly now kind of seeing that same, you know, thing, it, it kind of starts to awaken. And I think as we see throughout the rest of the movie, it kind of does awaken this sort of same feelings that he, that he had for her, for sure. As it develops though, knowing that he has a fiance, does make me wonder why he lets it go certain places, why he, you know... Yeah, I think there's a certain extent to which, like, he's just getting caught up in the nostalgia of it. I mean, it's like, I mean, she's acting like a 13-year-old, so it's kind of bringing out the child in him. And so he's constantly having to remind himself, wait a minute, pull back. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, a, that's a, a really, like, kind of great point. Because I think, you know, there is this desire to be friends, to, to you know, have have that sort of relationship. But I think, you know, 
it's really interesting to see where it goes and how that sort of balance between I'm an adult now with choices that I've made in this history that she in a way doesn't have anymore. And, and that sort of push and pull between some sort of kind of what he wants, but actually also what he lives in the, in the baggage of what he also wants, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then they wind up hanging out a lot more because they need to come up with these magazine redesigns. And she decides, oh, you know what? I need a photographer. Maddie's a photographer. So she goes and hires him to shoot for the magazine. So they're going to be spending a week together shooting all these different yearbook sequences for her concept pitch. And she starts to fall for him yeah, during I, my, all this. Is, the, is that That's kind of one of my, my questions is, um, what, like, where do you see her... Like, what is, is there a moment? Is it just kind of slowly through this montage that we begin to see, oh, she's falling for him? Was it before? You know, like, what? what's your kind of I take think it's on? during the montage. I, I think, think it's, it's over the course yeah. of this week. Yeah, I think that's when she starts to, you know, see him as a full person and not just her next door neighbor best friend. Also, it's Mark Ruffalo. So, like, obviously, she's just going to fall in love with him. That's the thing. Obviously. You know, she she has seen the teenage boys that she's into and... She also gets to know that, like, they grow up into Mark Ruffalo and Jim Gaffigan, both nice dudes, but she's able to make her ultimate choice with that knowledge. Yeah, she does get lucky. She is very lucky in that she gets to see that Matt turns into Mark Ruffalo. I, okay, so, yeah, my last point deals with with some of those questions in, in a way, um, which I'm, I'm looking forward to, to discussing in that knowledge of the future bit. So... Yeah, so she falls for him. He's starting to kind of fall for her at this time. Right, but at this point, she does know that he is engaged, which yeah. really throws her off when it first happens. She's like, how could I not know this? And he's like, well, we're not friends anymore. But also, you're like, Jenna, you're 13. Like, you don't know anything that's been going on. Yeah, how would you, even if he, <laughs> even if he had told her, she wouldn't have known. And, and it is, I think that is like one of the, that sort of shock about it when she, when, uh, when he's like downtown and they're shopping and Wendy just comes out and it, you can really, another great moment, I think, of Jennifer Garner, because you can kind of see that, that sort of unable to comprehend in, in, in her face. You can see that she's kind of like, not just struggling with the knowledge, but struggling to understand how Maddie has grown up and now has a fiance. Like it, it, it is one of those fish out of water moments in a way. Right, it's this is my kid friend. He can't be getting married. So is that that kind of brings us on, right? Yes. Yeah. So sort of my my um fourth point is essentially the the moment where she goes to the wedding and crashes crashes it essentially. I mean, kind of quietly um because my my fourth point is essentially that he rejects her. You know, he he's been spending all this time sort of loving her, pining after her, and I think, you know, he he kind of falls for her again and then this is the moment where in a way you see some kind of see almost a culmination of, of his first arc where he says, Hey, look, I've made choices. I'm an adult. And he reveals and finally says to her, Hey, I've always loved you. So he, he's kind of learns to be direct and say these things and say what he feels. So they've, they've kissed. And um, that kind of moment, you uh, honestly, is, I think really well shot because you see him kiss and then kind of realize this might not be appropriate. He sits up. Meanwhile, she kind of continues to, hang on to him in this kind of beautiful way in the shot. So yeah, my, my fourth point is is this is the big rejection at the wedding where in a typical rom-com you'd expect that he would say, hey, yeah, I don't love Wendy. I love you. Let's run away together. But instead he says, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Which I really appreciate. Jenna, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I, I have 
felt things these past few weeks that I didn't know I could feel anymore. But I have realized in these past few days, you can't just turn back time. Why not? I moved on. You moved on. We've gone down different paths for so long. We made choices. I I chose Wendy. But he does give her the dream house that he has held on to, which is weird. See, I kind of saw No, that I as... think that was still I thought that was still in her parents' house. No, because she threw it at him. So he takes oh, right. it and then he gives it to her at his house at the wedding, because their wedding is at his childhood home. And I, I saw that as like a first it's a realization, oh, he's held on to it after all these years, much like he's held on to a lot of bunch of his feelings about her. Right. And that's him, I think, letting that he's go. Letting as go. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess with the amount of manual labor he put into that, it also makes sense that he'd keep it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this represents three weeks of his life. You can like enter it in the county fair. Um Yeah. But that's a very important like moment because apparently he never dusted it because there's still wish dust on it which i do kind of appreciate how like and or at least i have a question about how like in the in the first instance of the wish dust working it, it just seems to cascade over her uh and then this moment the wind just seems to get a a, a, a wisp of it you know kind of uh, uh, up around her and, and i'm kind of curious if that's the like what are the terms Isn't the magic or is it just a oh happenstance with the wind? Yeah, I like like is it just the end of the terms and conditions of like this is the period for which the magic wish dust works? Oh, upon completion of whatever wished magical story arc, you're brought back. Or is it that the wind really just happened to come by and, and she was wishing to kind of go back? I think it would not have happened if she had not been there with the wish dust. Mm, mm. Like I don't think she would have snapped back. Yeah, I think it. She just got lucky and made a second wish to return to the moment and and i wonder if maybe if it's a related wish to the first wish maybe you need less of the dust maybe you know i think this dust is just insanely powerful and that the world should look very different in the future with the existence (laughs) of this wish dust because every person who shops and buys it has their wish come true well, no, I think they have to make a wish. It's like in Wonder Woman 84. Like, you can't just be like, I w-, like, you have to say, I wish for whatever. Well, she never says, I wish. She just says, 30, flirty, and thriving <laughs> repeatedly. But yeah, so that brings us to point five, I'm guessing. Yes, it does. She's back. 13 again. She's back. Come on, Matt. What did you call me? We're going to be late. For what? You'll see. They live happily ever after. And my fifth point is, is again, another question. Is this a real relationship? Is this real? Because she has some of the benefit and knowledge of, A, knowing that he's always loved her. B, knowing that he's growing up to be Mark Ruffalo. And and, and C, just sort of a, a kind of a knowledge of where the relationship can go and where the world goes. So it, like I guess my, my fifth point is a question of, do you see this as a legitimate real relationship at the end? Or do you think she's sort of cheating the game? No, I think it's legitimate because the thing is, she's entering into it, she's fully altering the timeline. Like she's not just inserting herself with the guarantee that it will result in them getting married at the end of the day. Right. She's able to alter the start, but they still have 17 years of a real relationship where 
I mean, she actually gets to grow up. Because remember, she never actually, it's not like she was an adult. She was still in her 13-year-old mindset the whole time. It's kind of funny given that, that like her going to his wedding and being like, I love you, is like a 13-year-old trying to get the rom-com resolution to this story. But Mark Ruffalo represents what actual 30-year-olds are like. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Not all. Yeah, uh, you've grown there was that enough. that viral Twitter thread last summer where the woman's like, "All right, life's too short. I'm getting on the plane to cross the country to like tell my ex that I'm in love with him and like we need to be together." And then like the tweet went viral while she was on the plane. And then like six hours later, she was like, "What should I do now that I'm alone in a hotel room, rejected?" <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, stuff like this doesn't really happen in real life. Well, I yeah. mean, like that. Wished Us also doesn't transport 13-year-olds into their 30-year-old bodies in real life either. But yeah, Caleb, I think it is legitimate. And I also, like, part of why I don't criticize it, and, like, this was, like, a a criticism that I, like, kind of wondered about the second time I watched the movie. Like, wait a minute, like, is she just, like, going with him because she knows he grows up to be Mark Ruffalo? Part of it is, like, Jenna appears to have, like, very little interest in, like, physical attractiveness in yeah, the adult men. Yeah, because she, she also would have been more interested in the other guy. Right. Like, the entire relationship that she has with adult Mark, with Mark Ruffalo, is, like, an emotional one. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Well, two really good points about the span of time. Like, it's a relationship, so they still have to work at it for those 17 years. But also, yeah, that she, that that the the thing that, that I think she finally comes to see about him, and that's why she reinitiates it when she's 13, or I guess initiates it for the first time, is that, yeah, she begins to see how thoughtful and caring he is. And it's those qualities that mm-hmm. make him uh, uh, attractive as a partner. Yeah. Yeah. Because she also will grow up alongside him this time. And when they do, they get married. All right. So, after watching all of this movie, do you find the romance believable? You have to just accept the time travel of it. Yeah. I find this interesting because at the end, the real romance we don't see. Right. There's just a cut. A 17-year cut. That's kind of the... That's the... I found that to be the tricky part. And that's almost why my fifth point was that question because it is like... It, it, it was it's it's it, it's hard to kind of differentiate in a way and, and but I think I'm gonna come down on I think it is believable because I think the sort of kind of subtle care and commitment that they show isn't ex- she might be a little extraordinary like you know as far as irregular but I do think that it is believably so you know and and you can see how they get along and how they don't and that's to me what makes this a very believable relationship yeah so every week we rate the believability on a 10 point scale one being the least 10 the most caleb where would you rate this movie i'm gonna have to go pretty high for this one and i think i'm gonna have to go with a god i want to say 10 I want to say 10 for me, but I, but I, I know I'm probably overlooking something. So I, I like to be safe. I want to say nine, but I think I'm going to put my, my, my hand out there. I'm going to say 10, knowing what we know about them as characters and all that. I, I think this is no, you know what? I'm going to say nine because, and I remember why, because I literally have just said how they're both almost like almost abnormally caring and that doesn't quite seem believable. So I'm going to say nine though, other than that. I was also thinking nine, but partially because we don't see the romance, it's hard to judge because mm. we know that Jenna has the capability to become evil. 
Right. And is just, like, is this enough to fully overcome her dark side? Because, like, let's remember how evil Jenna was. I also just think, like, presumably, like, we don't know that they are 30 when they get married in the last shot of the movie. But it's, like, kind of implied, given the premise of the movie. And, like, I just think 17 years is a long time to maintain that relationship. And, like, maybe they broke up and got back together or something like that. I'm inclined to go, like, a 7 on this. Mm. Mm. I'm, yeah. Which is not to say that you should change anything, Caleb. No, no, I'm, I'm definitely keeping my nine, but I definitely see your point because I don't know, at least to me, it feels like when you're, once you're like in your mid twenties, you've been dating for at least 10 years, you know, unless there's some sort of financial reason that they haven't married, it feels like they would have maybe gotten married sooner. Um, right. Well, but, I will but, say, but breaking up we, in, oh, sorry. We gen, we don't know. Because it's not like they're going to cast other actors that look closer to their early 20s <laughs> for the last scene where they get married. Right. That's the thing. Like, we don't know how old they are there. I do think, I don't know. I think the movie invites you to think that they're 30. And and I wonder if, to your point, though, about them, like, breaking up and getting back together, like, that, that, it, it, that, that could go on both sides for me. Either that's really believable because relationships do that. But the idea that maybe they stay together after that, it begins to become unbelievable do you think jenna or maddie is dateable in this movie well we never see jenna as an adult the only adult jenna we know of is mean and i don't want to date her um i think it is possible that jenna could grow up to be a nice adult but i haven't really seen it yeah because even as a 13 year old she is a little too uh annoying annoying and she's a, on being she's a 13 year old yeah yeah. She's th- yeah i think adult matt is dateable though yeah. yeah, good dude. Not kid Matt. I think to your point about not being able to pick up social cues and things like that, I don't know if he's very dateable, but adult Matt, I think very much, very much is. So Caleb, if you did have to pick one person in the movie to date, who would it be? See, I, 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 I've been thinking about it, putting it back and forth, back and forth. I do think I have to go with Matt. I think I, I have to go with Matt. I do think, um, I just think he and I would get along very well. I, again, the Talking Heads thing was where he won me over. So he, he had me. He had me at uh, at Talking Heads. So yeah, I considered Chris because I was like, look, Jim Gaffigan. He he's a cab driver. That's a good union job. Mm. But like on the other hand, like I don't want to be dating a guy who lives with his with his parents when he's thirty. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I think Maddie is the clear move. Uh, I think Andy Circus. <laughs> I thought fun. you would go there. Over-the-top magazine editor-in-chief. I think that's a really good show. I feel like a whirlwind romance rather than a long-term thing. I also want to to give some special shout-outs to Wendy. I think she's eminently understanding. I see why Matt likes her. I mean, mean, she's barely in the movie. But when she is, she seems kind. She seems nice. And and, uh, uh, and I keep wanting to call him Alex Ovechkin. Um, But the (laughs) hockey player... He also seems kind of dateable, um, except for kind of being popular and seeing around other other people might get annoying. Both of them seem kind of simple, sweet, easy to get along with. Yeah. Um, do you think Jenna and Matt will stay together? I think the movie is certain that they will stay together. Ye- that is true. And, and I'm in, I'm inclined to 
inclined to agree after everything we've seen, well, at least Jenna go through, you know, I, I'm inclined to, to see, see them fight for it, work for it. To your point, if, you know, if it's been 17 years since the 13th birthday to there's possible implied marriage, I, I have a feeling that it'll last longer than that. I have no counter evidence to offer because I have never seen adult Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Caleb, many of the films that we've covered on this podcast have been adapted into stage musicals. So as, as a theater expert, I'm asking you, should 13 Going on 30 be adapted for Broadway? Now, this is really tough. I find this really, really difficult for a few reasons. One, because for a while there, I think it was supposed to be. Um, and there was still even yeah. talk in 2019 that it might. So, you know, but also I, I think it should. I think the answer is yes, because it feels very much built for like spectacle and dance and music and fun. Like it has one of the best soundtracks. I mean, I don't think you could license it. It's got a them. killer soundtrack. Oh, so good. My only concern is in the musical, if they can't keep specifically the thriller dance scene, I don't want it. I need I need thriller dancing. I don't want an evocation of it. I don't need like kind of a hint at it. No, I need them to play thriller and dance to it. But other than that, uh, I definitely ha- think this would be a great Broadway musical. I'm like, yeah, this would be a great musical. I agree. I'm pretty sure this is one where I feel like I actually know that there was discussion of it. In 2016, they announced it for a debut in fall 2017, which obviously did not happen. Caleb is right that as recently as 2019, one of the producers was like, yeah, we're working on it. We're going to put it on Broadway. And then I want to do a live TV version of it. So it is allegedly still in the works, but we haven't heard any like real update in a long time. God, I hope so. Well, I mean, 2019, we all know what happened in 2020 that may have postponed plans for a musical adaptation. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for 13 going on 30. I'm glad we did it. I love it more every time I see it. Next week, we will be returning to the world of the Gene Kelly musical with... This is not a Gene Kelly musical. Wait, it's not? You're thinking of On the Town. I am thinking of On the Town. No, we're watching Martin Scorsese's musical, New York, New York, starring Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro. Oh, okay. So the song New York, New York, that dance sequence, isn't that in On the Town, though? Yes. Okay. I'm on the same page now. But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right. Last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from 13 Going on 30? For me, I'm going to have to say the best piece of dating advice that I learned is to just be upfront and honest about your feelings. I really think uh, the the key turning point for the relationship was Matt finally saying, I always love you. And so once you put that out there, you have to accept what comes back, but at least you can move forward. I honestly think that the best piece of dating advice in this movie is when Matt chooses not to go with Jenna. It's the idea that like, there is more to a relationship than just feelings. There is the work and the experiences that you've had together. Right. I do think the movie makes a compelling case for staying in tune with your inner child. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay and awful. So between the two of us, you know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye.